Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plushcare. Plushcare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. podcast where we talk everything agribusiness and the different elements it takes to grow it into a sustainable efficient and most importantly profitable enterprise in this episode listen in as there are some great takeaways to use on your own farm or even to use it just as motivation to push you through your day-to-day routine on this week's episode i have angus white join me from the western districts of new south wales near wentworth as I tracked him down, we finally got to talk about what drives him, how he manages his vast landscape of Wyndham Station in the Western Districts, and why he's so community-driven, and how that makes him a more all-rounder to work within agribusiness. Let's find out what happens on Wyndham Station with Gus White. Let's get into it. Angus, how are you mate? Gus? Yeah, yeah, good, Jack. Which one do you prefer, Gus or Angus? Uh, I'm not fussy because there's plenty of worse names to be called. Absolutely. I bet you have a few stories in the past about some of that working in agriculture. We've all been called names that we don't want to be sometimes, <laughs> dealing with different people throughout the stages. But thanks for coming on the podcast, yep. mate. Um, Pretty good to get you on. It's taken a while to get us both sitting down in front of our computers and aligned. So thank you. Uh, really sorry. It's mainly been my fault for missing out on the other times, Jack. And we've had a busy, bit of a busy time period since sort of March, April, May. It's been, um, yeah, it's been a bit on. No dramas at all. I'm sure, like, working within agriculture, I always come up with, I'm sure, like, I allow at least one or two mishaps for trying to get people on because working in ag, they could be out in the paddock or flying around the world. Not at the moment, but 
you never know where they are. Thanks. Yeah, you know, it's I, I, time just runs away from you, and you, especially if you get caught up working with stock, you you move to a different time frame, and yeah, you work on their timelines, and they're always different from mine. Absolutely, you can't always pick it. But thank you for coming on the show. Before we get down to your own operation, your agri business, can you just tell us a bit about your background and your connection to agriculture? Yeah, thanks, Jack. Um, so I'm about fourth generation here at Wyndham and uh, Willow Point that we lease off mum. That was where I was born. So that's about 20 kilometres north of Wyndham Station. But Wyndham's about 85 kilometres north of Wentworth uh, on the Anna Branch River and the Silver City Highway that connects um, Wentworth and Broken Hill divides our property in half. So... I was born out here, went to, did school of the air with your dad. I certainly remember going out to Analara when it was exceptionally wet in the seventies and getting bogged somewhere between there and Wilcannia. Huh. Can't remember too much more than that. Um, went to boarding school at Scotch College in Adelaide. Then went to uh, Longridge Pastoral College in Queensland for a couple of years. Then spent about four years um, playing polo and training polo ponies around sort of southeastern Australia. Yep. And then uh, in 1990, came home to help run property with dad and uh, started working home there. And then in, in 1998, we bought Wyndham where we are. 99, I, I got married to my wife, Kelly. And then 03, we had our, our only child, our son, Mitchell. And, uh, yeah, so that's probably about it. So we've been here, what, 23 years. Yeah, right. So amazing. Did you always, like, you always thought you were going back home to the family farm? Continue on? Yeah, I was always really keen to go farming. Uh, if I didn't get into Longreach, um, I was going to do a agribusiness course in uh, at Armadale, UNE. Yeah. Uh, but I was in, I got a, a student exchange and I was in Spain for three months. So when I left Australia, I wasn't in at Longreach. So I was told that, no, they were already full. And then about halfway she told me that I was on a waiting list and next in. And then I was told, yeah, I was in at Longreach. And um, yeah, so as soon as I came back from Spain, I spent about 12 hours at home and and then had to drive up to Longreach. So winter in Spain, back up to summer in Longreach was a fair change for me. Yeah, definitely. Whereabouts in Spain were you? Uh, in Seville, in southern Spain. And, yes, uh, a beautiful spent spot. Spent three months over there. and Yeah, exactly. And got to learn the language and, and get to understand some of their culture. And, and uh, yeah, it was a great experience. Absolutely. What do you, like, before we get into it, what do you think about like people of similar backgrounds to you stepping out of their comfort zone, like going over to Spain for three months and seeing something different, different culture, and just seeing new ideas? Uh, look, you, you get put in a position. I that that trip had a profound impact on myself uh, and my 
you know, understanding of people, etc. throughout my whole life. It was a really, really difficult time for me. I didn't know any Spanish before I went over there. And so I had to learn it from day dot. Knew hardly anyone over there I could speak English to. And yeah. as an extrovert, found that really hard. But I, I got to know myself a lot better and understand myself and my own needs. And uh, it was a big learning curve. And it was as tough a time as it was. Uh, I'm really, really glad I went through it. And it's really, you know, helped me, you know, ever since then. Yeah, definitely. I bet it has. It would have changed a fair bit since you've been to Spain. What year was it you got back? So that would have been uh, start of 84. So what's that, you know, 37 years ago? You know, I just remember a magnificent old town with cobbled roads and, and people driving like absolute madmen. Some things over there probably haven't changed too much, Jack. Yeah, I was actually in Seville in October, so I imagine it has changed a fair bit, bit more text being used down there. Um, but Seville's a beautiful spot. But enough about Spain. We'll get into agribusiness. The reason I got you on the podcast was you're quite vocal on Twitter and how it's used and also like working in your own operation, but also bolstering your community in sort of different community groups and growing that in rural areas. What's your, what's going on out where you are at the moment and growing your own community or farmers or those in town? Well, I'm not sure the community's growing, Jack. Unfortunately, I think it might be going the other way. Uh, I'm really passionate about community and I love being involved in community groups, working, you know, alongside other volunteers on projects or just organising um, events like on the weekend so I'm the chairman of the Pooncary Field Day group so we organised a gym carner, bike carner at uh, Pooncary on the weekend and yeah. just to put a smile on people's face and uh, have a bit of fun and uh, yeah we had a really good time <clears throat> you know because people haven't been out much let alone got their horse or motorbike out and yeah, gee, it was great to see some kids just having a lot of fun and falling off motorbikes and getting covered in dirt and mud. And, oh, look, we, we had a great time. We had more fun watching them and, you know, band Saturday night and, and just had a really good fun weekend. So trying to add to some of those and trying to, you know, I, I guess we hear enough and it's in the papers enough about rural mental health. Um, I just try and focus on... Um, doing fun things to keep the community healthy rather than going around looking for sick people, you know. <laughs> Much rather be doing that. And, you know, so community events like that are, are good fun. Great to be working alongside people and organising them. Um, we've got plans for a ball maybe later on in the year. Um, you know, I'm involved with the Wentworth Show, which is a wonderful local ag show. Um, yeah, look, I just try and... and uh, drag a few people along to get involved and, and give them the confidence to just go out there and work alongside their mate and have fun, you know? Yeah, definitely. I see like on your social media, Twitter, uh, mostly that you are trying to build something out there. The gym car looked pretty good. The bike car I should have entered in uh, would have been really good to get to. 
but how has that helped you with like living on farm, being quite remote where you are, connecting with others out there, networking? Well, I guess that that helps. It's just, it's as much about keeping our own psyche in a good frame of mind, you know. I, so I look to, I certainly look to Twitter, Facebook, mainly Twitter though, to connect myself with other people of, of similar interests and uh, similar philosophies as we have to win them. Yep. Not many of those people are local. Um, so by running those events and being part of those events, that's about keeping my own psyche in, in good health, you know, the same with my wife. And because, you know, again, I look at it by the end of the day, we're, we're all running small businesses. And the most important asset we have as a small business operator is the um, state of mind of the key decision makers. Yep. So if you can keep that happy and healthy, you can make good decisions. Uh, and then by using your networks and, and Twitter ads to our networks, you can get many different perspectives so that you can take all those into account and make sure you make good decisions. And, and certainly that's just the way I look at it. Yeah, 100%. Everything does impact our psyche and what motivates us in a positive way is how we can move forward through the decision, whether it's a hard one to make or an easy one to make, makes it that much easier. But that's a good segue into moving into your operation at Wyndham Station. Just tell us a bit about it. You're quite transparent on online about what you get up to and what you do and how you try to keep your land as best as you can. Moving into like regenerative sort of practices. How, how do you work? What's your operation all about? Well, we certainly consider ourselves regenerative farmers and we want to build the capacity of our landscape. And uh, certainly that's about increasing our carrying capacity and increasing our profitability. There's no question about that. However, we might measure profitability on many different levels. And so if we can be seen as um, building the capacity of our landscape, improving infiltration of water, improving the diversity of our plants, health of our livestock, that all just, that makes us feel good on the inside and makes us really want to contribute and work as hard as we can and, and be as productive as we can. So there's, I guess there's many angles to that. Our, our philosophies are reasonably simple about just trying to uh, match our stocking rate with our current capacity. So in times when we have dry seasons, we're busy offloading stock and, you know, and I said we were busy through March, April, May. We were busy identifying stock to sell. April, we were busy shearing. And May, we were busy selling. Yep. We'd identified a lot of stock to sell. We've sold nearly a third of our livestock here to reduce our livestock numbers. With our rainfall dropping off, we've had, you know, as I was saying before, Jack, we've, we've only just crept over bloody 50 mils of rain for the year. Like things aren't rocking and rolling out here. Um, Last year we had around about an average year, but it was a bit up and down. And, and so we're not, we're the first to say we haven't come out of the drought, even though we restocked a fair bit last year. But we, we're just about monitoring um, and evaluating and having control and making 
small decisions often with our stock <laughs> to restock in, in small chunks, to restock in small chunks. Um, you know, if you back yourself into a corner where you've got to sell all your stock, it is an extremely tough decision. And we we have backed ourselves in a corner you know, many years ago and said, right, we never want to go there again. How can we set our system up so that we can reduce stocking in small chunks at a time, make sure we maintain our best breeders um, if we're going to hang on to any stock at all. So we've identified them and then be able to restock. So, yeah, I guess it's about empowering us to take responsibility and we feel like we're in control. I mean, our, our attitude's about um, if it's a drought, that's our fault because we've chucked too many sheep on the paddocks when there wasn't the grass there. So we've caused that drought. So then yeah. if we if we think like that, then we can take responsibility and say, righto, the flip side of that is we destock some, then we're in charge, then it's no longer a drought. It's just a, a lower quantity of feed or a dry time, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, great stuff. It's all about keeping your options open. See, like when you're going through a good season, say your four DSE as such, do you, do you look at your dry matter or something out in the paddock in far western districts just to see like what your flexibility on the DSE is? Certainly we do, um, you know, budgets with their feed the same way people do budgets with their money. You yeah. know, exactly the same. And, and look, the same as with our money, we get them wrong. We don't always get them right. It's about making a guesstimate with the best information you have available. Um, and then you monitor it and evaluate it and um, change when you need to change. I think too what's helped us, Jack, is we use a, uh, an advisor, a grazing coach. We use a fellow called Dick Richardson who just provides advice on the side and is there to support us. And we got him on board when it was in the midst of it being really, really dry <laughs> here. Yeah. Um, and that was exactly when we needed him to, just to support our decisions so that we'd feel like we were making the best possible decisions. And so we're happy to retain Dick and, and um, utilise his skills and his knowledge for helping us to make decisions, help us to set up grazing plans going forward to help us do feed budgets. Um, yeah, and just gives us lots of support. So he's been really helpful too, Jack. Yeah, absolutely. And all these decisions are leading into making a, a more profitable business for you. I imagine like the listeners, that's what they sort of do want to hear about. Okay, is the money good enough to be able to do this? Keep your options open and keep the money flowing in. Has it actually impacted your way on a positive note, even though we went through some pretty harsh drought there? Your management skills and dicks there, have they improved or allowed you to grow in different ways? Well, they certainly have. Our, our management skills is, um, you know, we feel we've managed okay. I'm not suggesting our landscape looks truckloads better than the neighbours because it doesn't. Um, we certainly have taken the opportunity this year to make a profit. So we, we mightn't quite be in the black for this year. Um, however, we'll go very close. And 
Um, that's pretty good the first year around from a drought, you know, a significant drought. I mean, this time last year, we, well, in April last year, we saw a bit over 1,800 sheep. This year, we saw 6,200. And so, you know, we've had to purchase a number of stock. Um, we've turned over some stock, bought and sold. You know, we, we've had a reasonably productive year and it's been really good for our psyche to um, be in and out of stock and to have some work going again because, um, you know, with the way we set up, we, we choose not to feed our stock. Um, that's a conscious decision. Um, and again, not right or wrong. This is just the way we deal with it. We've got a written um, rule that we don't feed commercial livestock. So we feed our rams, but we don't feed commercial livestock. That's our way of saying we're removing the safety net from the from our business. So we have to offload stock. There's no choices here. You've got to offload stock. You can't just say, oh shit, we're in a position where we can't offload, we have to sell, we have to feed. We choose to make decisions early and, and by removing that safety net, that drives us to make good decisions early. Yeah, absolutely. It's driving that early decision. How do you make your decision? Like, Talk us through your process on your commercials when you're seeing like the weather's not going to be coming in um, for the foreseeable future as well as you'd like to have your feed? So it's about having diversity in your livestock. So when you've got diversity, then you can make some simple decisions. Um, so an old bloke, lovely old fellow, Ron Reese, so Graham Reese's father from out at Ivanhoe, a bit of advice he always gave me was, yeah, boy, make sure you've always got um, got a mob of sheep with one foot on the truck. So we've always got a mob of sheep that are next off. And again, that gives you a, that gives you some confidence and some, you feel good because you know, right, if we get into a tight situation, we can always sell those buggers and buy some grass. Um, which ones we identify, we use, um, sorry about that. We use KLR marketing um, to help us with their spreadsheets, to help us identify which are the most profitable start, stock for us to keep and yep. which is the best to sell. And to take this into account, you've got to understand the feed you have and what the, the quality and quantity of that feed and what class of livestock that suits. There's no good us retaining all our twin bearing ewes when effectively we've got dirty old bloody dried up cardboard out in the paddock that they can't lactate on. We, there's no good us doing that. You've got to understand those things of quality and quantity of feed and then match that to the class of livestock that it's going to suit if you're going to keep those stock. So they're things we take into account when identifying stock to sell. And but this diversity, I mean, you know, for instance, shearing's a great time. You have all your stock through, you can ident identify easily stock to sell and you can mark them or, or whatever you need to do, draft them off separately for sale off shears. It makes it simple. Um, when you scan your use, so if you run gulpers, you might be able to scan them and say, right, oh, well, I've got, I've got singles and multiples, I've got earlies and lates and I've got dot and I've got dries. All of a sudden I've got five different classes of livestock. 
not just the ewes that are due to land. Yeah. And that diversity enables you to make decisions and identify which stock to sell. Yeah, I think that's a good process, the way to look at it, keeping the profitable ones first and probably implementing a few things you picked up at KLR Marketing. Uh, it's pretty important that you do seek out some like external parties, you think, such as KLR Marketing for graziers like yourself? Uh, certainly that's really valuable. And I guess through that we use... Obviously, a stock agent's a key part of our business as well with trading stock. Our stock agents, he's been to the KLR Marketing School as well. Yeah. So, and he lives at Clare in South Australia. He's four hours away from us. However, with the tools that um, Auctions Plus give us, so and, and understanding those, we're able to take photos to fat score stock, you know, take some photos, weigh them, and send that across to our stock agent and say, what do you reckon you can do? He'll come across there and say, well, we'll assess them and put it on Auctions Plus. Or, you know, I've got a bloke, um, private buyer, who's just looking for that class of stock, Gus. We can sell it easy as, you know? Yeah. Um, the same as when we're looking to buy stock. I'll identify some stock to buy, crunch them through the spreadsheets, bring our stock agent up, are these right? Are these not right? Have I put my numbers in correctly? Um, so again, all those things, just about asking other people, getting some real um, substance behind your decision-making, that gives you the confidence then to go forward and make good decisions that you're comfortable with. And I, and I think that's really important, Jack. Yeah, absolutely. Keep in close touch with your stock agent or like, platforms such as Auctions Plus is probably that one foot on the truck, isn't it? Have been prepared for that coming ahead. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, asking people, so certainly, you know, I, I, I look at tweets and, and ask people on Twitter a lot about how they're going, what they're doing. Um, you know, again, just getting some broad perspectives of where people are at um, and the decisions that they make. And I mean, there's times you talk about keeping the most profitable stock. There's times here when we might sell all the ewes over four-year-old with multiples and keep the singles because there's just not the feed for the ewes to raise twins and yeah. someone else will value them more than us. Yeah, okay, and so that's, that's a good way to look at it. You know, I mean, you've chosen to buy another farm. You, you know, your dad grew up out in the western New South Wales you bought another farm. A lot of people have done it that way. It's just, you know, sometimes you might transfer stock from a dry country to where you've got feed, where you can value them. And, um, yeah, we just choose to sell our stock rather than own a, own a block elsewhere, I guess. We, we understand our country or we think we do. And we're really happy in our community. And as the leading was, you know, passionate about our community and love our community. So for us to sort of split up and move to another community, that sort of wouldn't feel right. Yeah, I totally get that. You get the connection to your community, and especially when you have such an input into what you're doing within yours, and also that relates into your agribusiness at home there, on farm. How, like before, without diving into your books, how do you manage cash flow out in the Western District? Something I've always wanted to get into. Like, do you offload, try to offload quarterly 
um, like try to get rid of quarterly or like you don't worry about that too much. You just worry about what the sheep are doing, what the grass is doing. Ah, uh, you know, I mean, cash flow is always tough, isn't it? Um, we, you know, we still have got a debt, especially when we're buying and selling stock. Um, with most of those facilities, after discussion with banks, we can draw down and top up as need be. Um, we utilise farm management deposits. Um, I don't stress too much about having to have um, cash flow in and out of our account every quarter. Having said that, though, um, you know, I think long term, I'd like to be paying paying GST back to the ATO every quarter. That would be saying we're making a profit. Um, there's plenty of quarters where it's tougher for us to make a profit and tough for us to sell stock. Um, but yeah, look, I don't worry too much about it. There's plenty of tools available. And again, it's about putting together a reasonable budget, um, keeping in good communication with your accountant, with your bank manager, and making sure everyone aware of what's going on. Like, um, you know, if you can give advance notice to your bank manager, to your stock agent, or look, we're leading up to this decision, what are our options? Um, and you give them time, it's surprising how many options you might have, Jack. Yeah, it's just preparing yourself for that, for what's, what's to come. Uh, and you can't go wrong planning ahead. You either do it or you don't in the end. Um, but from your case, yep. you've really learned from planning ahead and having those options open. So yep. talking, yep. talking back into your regen practices, it's a bit of a buzzword along with data in farming. How, how are you implementing it in the Western District out there? Are you planting new species of grass or? Uh, so we're, we just started in, um, in a project called Rangeland Living Skin, which is a MLA funded project with uh, New South Wales DPI, just on identifying whether our practices are genuinely seeing change in our soils and uh, whether we can me measure the benefits while also measuring our, our productive benefits. Uh, because, you know, in, in the Western Division, there used to be enormous numbers of stock out here when this area was first um, settled. When the squatters moved out here, maybe late 1800s, there was huge numbers of livestock. And then we've gradually decreased our livestock numbers since then as we've become more aware of how much grass our stock eat and, and uh, the impacts our stock are having on the land. I guess I see it flipped around going, those first squatters wouldn't have been any deals. Yeah, they probably didn't understand the landscape, but they would have known how much food their stock would have eaten. So at some stage, this landscape used to be able to produce a hell of a lot more feed than what it does now. And I might take the opinion that where we are now, we might only be 10 or 20% of what the productive capacity of this landscape was pre-European um, you know, squatting on this land. I reckon that's really exciting. If I could get 50% of that back in my lifetime, Jack, I reckon that'd be a huge get. And that would be enormous increase in the productive capacity of our landscape and the health of our landscape. So 
that drives me to always look to improve our landscape and to uh, improve what we do. Um, you know, as well as I feel really strongly that we're all sort of, we all are interconnected. We're in the Murray-Darling Basin. You, you know, we've all seen on the television huge algal blooms, fish kills, yep. all those dreadful events. As a livestock owner, I reckon we're partially responsible because of the way we've managed our land and the we've bared our landscape too much and there's too much uh, runoff of nutrients, sediments and salinity into our streams, which is having a significant impact, a poor impact. And we're not allowing the infiltration into our land where normally the water might go in to our land, come out down the bottom in a small stream after being filtered through the landscape and uh, run crystal clear down in your creeks. So um, that might be a bit out there and a bit, uh, you know, a bit uh, unreal thinking, but that's what sort of drives me to improve our landscape, Jack. Absolutely. That's the holistic approach um, I think everyone should be taking. Regenerative agriculture has actually been there for a while, but it's whether you've been using it. It's in your livestock management, in in introducing new species of plants into your place, but out in the Western District, it's not as easy to plant as it is here in the Central West or other areas in Australia. So like what you're doing is really having an impact and you, you'll see benefits down in the long run for that. In your lifetime and the next one along that, um, it'd be amazing if we could get those pre-European feed quality back again, um, but that will take a fair while if that's the case. Um, you know, it's a, it's a long-term aim. And you, I'm a sort of person, Jack, that I don't have goals. I, I view it personally as passions and just get on the right path and make the right decisions that follow my passions within my values that I operate on. Um, and so I'm really comfortable having um, aspirations that are well outside what I can achieve and I just work on that no one has the right to steal my dreams. And so I'm quite happy moving in that direction, however far away it might seem. Absolutely. And I think it comes down to your transparency, what you're doing online, as you probably don't think so, but you're a bit of an influencer for probably stockies, graziers out west and for across Australia online. But you're always trying to go towards true north of what you're doing. Everything encompasses that through your community outreach, the Jim Carner, Bike Carner, um, and what you do there on your property. So it's like, it's really good to see what you're up to. And also a bit of a tech guru, you've got to stay your station website. What made you to start the website for Wyndham? That's pretty cool. Oh, thanks Jack. Look, Heidi Wright, put that together for us, which was really good of her and we appreciated her assistance. Um, we, and that's simply just about telling our story, Jack, and giving, you know, I enjoy writing and so write a blog from time to time about issues I feel strongly about. Um, we don't, we're not in there to market anything necessarily, Paddock the Plate, it's just simply telling our story, our philosophy and giving us an identity. Um, you know, really nothing more, nothing less. And I, and I appreciate your kind thoughts about, you know, the 
the story I tell, as you would understand in agriculture, not everything goes according to plan. You have good days, you have bad days. And um, I try to tell a, an accurate story. There are times though when, um, you know, when we have horrendously bad, well, not horrendously bad, but things that go pear-shaped here that you just go, I'm not sure everyone needs to know all about that. And I'm sure everyone's in the similar situation. We live and learn. Um, we always endeavour after we have monthly meetings here, we always endeavour to look back and look forward and look back and say, what what have we learned in the last month? Um, what's our plan going forward and what are we going to do better? And we really try and make sure that we don't have a fixed plan each year. The only thing that's not negotiable in our plan is our communication strategy. And we really need to improve our communication. So within our family, within our staff, um, within our livestock, within our plants, within our soils, if we can communicate really well with all them, that can help us make good decisions. And, you know, that's where the, the network and the communities and, and being involved in projects and, you know, listen to podcasts like what you have, Jack, and getting different perspectives on how we roll gives us a much better understanding and ability to, to understand the impact and what we're operating with in the, in the landscape because it's a beautiful, complex landscape. We love it out here. Um, it's just so complex. It's, it's difficult to understand and that's part of the challenge that I enjoy. Yeah, beautiful. I think that's well put. As a fourth generation farmer, I think I'm fourth as well. I have to look that up. Fourth or fifth. Um, it's about implementing elements from different areas, such as like the podcast, Fun Slice podcast. I'm trying to get people to take key takeaways from each podcast episode as a motivator or something to implement. And I'm sure they'll get something from you. For those in the far western districts that think, probably think they're isolated from the greener blocks on the east coast or those with high rainfall and they don't get so much coverage on a podcast or online in the paper because what a lot of people don't know is you are still going through drought lack of rain only 50 mil for this year which is astonishing when we've had a fair bit more i won't rub it in too much but it's unlucky that you haven't got under a cloud as what we have here yeah Look, and that's it, Jack. I would say, though, with, with COVID has, has meant that it wouldn't matter where you are, people have felt isolated. So people have felt like they live in the Western Division of New South Wales. Um, I'm just used to having remote relationships with people and yep. that's how you communicate. So I've got better to use um, words Twitter's helped me enormously to put down a, a clear, concise, short message, which I think is really important. Um, and and then with the use of Zooms, enable us to uh, be part of meetings and, and, and build a relationship. So I'm used to it. And I'm, um, again, I'm, I'm really happy living out where I am, especially if, you know, in cities in, in Melbourne and, you know, in Sydney at various times have had, um, COVID outbreaks and it's been really tough. So I feel quite happy out here at various times in the last year or so anyway, Jack. Yeah, I bet you have. We actually just had a COVID case go through Dubbo today. Um, so we'll see how that goes in the end. But I think it comes back to being clear and concise and what you're all about. But 
before we move on, what's one piece of farms advice you would offer to someone in the Western District or the more barren places um, on how to approach their operation to be more sustainable for the future? Um, I'm not sure there's one piece of advice. I, I would be saying that, you know, uh, destock and, and repent. Um, you know, I like the, <clears throat> I like the concept of, you know, love your wife, forgive your children and provide neither for your livestock because um, that'll always end badly. So, yeah, um, just your largest asset, as I said, is your state of mind. So primarily you've got to look after your state of mind so that you can make good decisions. Yeah. Uh, and then... The next largest asset that a farmer owns is their landscape. So that's a productive asset. And I reckon that should be fundamental to look after your productive assets. And that's where your livestock come in as a way of turning grass into money and gardening your productive asset, really. But that's about all they're at. And I'm not suggesting uh, be cruel to livestock or um, compromise their welfare. That's a very different discussion. I'm simply talking about ownership and having them on your property. Yeah, definitely. The four key takeaways I would bring in from you is community, your psyche, improving what's in between your ears and really trying to understand your own management um, and overcoming anything that you may have. Uh, your landscape and also clear and concise communication. I think you do that quite wherever you send a land on your website. Um, being proactive on that communication as well. Yeah, thanks, Jack. I think that's some really good messages there. And um, I'm glad you took them away. That's great. Absolutely. Thanks, Gus, for coming on. A couple more questions before you go. Who else would you like to hear on the Farms of Ice podcast and why? <laughs> um, gee, so... I'd like to hear uh, so some more Western Division people. And, uh, you know, I'm sure there's some wonderful farmers out there. And I know there are, like, you know, Graham and Kathy Finlayson, Tony Thompson, Andrew and Megan Mosley, Justin and Julie McClure. Um, yeah, I've got them lined up. Few. There's... Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and then there's, then there's a group of... Uh, uh, people like the O'Connors up at uh, Pack Saddle. And, yep. uh, you know, there's lots of really good farmers around that I hold in high esteem. And, and, and there's great farmers in the Western Division who are great characters and they've done, um, they've got some attitudes to life that's stood them in good stead to keep their, not just them in business, but some of them have been there, you know, many generations. And so these are lessons learned over a lot of generations which are, are pertinent to their own unique environment and really important and, and great lessons, I reckon, especially people up in that corner country around Tipperborough. They, people that have been up there for many generations of families have got some great philosophies and uh, really good outlook on life. Absolutely. Some unsung heroes there for that. Um, how can we reach out to you? What's your 
Twitter handle. You're pretty vocal on there. Got cut off there from service or something. But if you want to follow him on Twitter, he's at Gus White, and that's White with a Y instead of an I. Or catch him at WyndhamStation.com.au. He's actually boasting 11,000 followers, and he's tweeted over 62,000 times. A busy man. Thank you for tuning in to the Farms of Ice podcast for the episode 53. Over half a century now, and also thanks to Gus for coming on the show Really great to have you on, especially from someone coming from the western parts of New South Wales, where I was born and bred. If you like this episode, please help by sharing it on social media or fold it up and send it in the post. I really don't mind. I love talking to those with their two feet firmly placed on the ground and being realistic about their own situation in agribusiness, in agriculture within Australia. Plenty of value in this one for sure. So until next Tuesday, keep on farming. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.